the Knowledge from the Couch podcast. It's fun. It's interesting. It's weird. It's whatever you want it to be. Thanks for listening. to episode 12 of Knowledge from the Couch podcast. My name is Kyle, still, still your host. What up, everybody? This is going to be a special episode because even though it is not exactly official, as I look at it right this minute as I'm recording this on a Wednesday, there is going to be, during the release of this episode, the 1,000th, 1,000th, download of this podcast. That's pretty goddamn insane, honestly. I didn't know I didn't know if this podcast was ever going to get 100 downloads. I figured 500 downloads would be insane. We're about to hit 1000 downloads in 12 full-blown episodes and 3 miniature episodes with a fourth on the way. I believe I'll I'll give it a shot next week. This week ended up being a lot busier than I thought it was going to be. So You'll still get your, you know, your what you're listening to now, your regular dose of the podcast, but at the same time, uh, it's just it's just a whole it's just a whole deal. Uh, it's it's definitely been a ride for sure, recording these podcasts on a week to week basis. Like I said early on in the podcast, uh, probably first, second, third, somewhere around there episode, where I uh, let everyone in behind the scenes as to how this sort of thing goes. I had recorded a lot of episodes and banked them, banked them, so to speak, and I would just set them to release on a weekly basis, and then I would you know, record some mini episodes here and there, and I would still continue working on the ones in the future, so I was ahead for a while, and then I got super duper busy, and now I basically have to try to carve out a little time every week to, to knock one out super quick, so if it looks, or looks, if it sounds to your ears... If it sounds fucking dumb and terrible and weird and just kind of poorly edited or just doesn't sound like my best work, that's probably why. It's just, you know, just flying by the seat of my pants at this point. But I promise, come next year, we're going to have some crazy stuff happen. I'm going to acquire some more equipment and we're going to get more people on the podcast than just me. And it's going to evolve into something crazy. And we have some other plans, uh, some friends of and mine as well. For more fun stuff to do, but for now, you're just going to get a fun, fun time story, just like you do every single week from me, and this week's story, by the way, is a Civil War, or I should say antebellum to the Civil War era story, and it's about a little bit of a, little bit of a WWE, or WWF, if you're old like me, and remember when it was actually that at one point, kind of a WWE grudge match. 
between a dude named Charles Sumner and another dude named Preston Brooks. Spoiler alert, Charles Sumner is going to get caned. And that's this episode. Without further ado, let's talk about the caning of Charles Sumner. Running in circles, never leave me alone. Say I don't answer the messages, I pick up my phone. Say we all need some time just to settle down. Won't you come around? Cause I never can leave it alone. Tell me your stories, but don't leave out the lies. Cause I know I got some problems and I'm open to mine. So we all need some time just to settle down. Won't you come around? Cause I Never can leave it alone Talking about somebody rolling Boulevard down and making it count For efforts I can't explain Balling and feeling we drown And never be humble by playing the fight Okay, so with this episode Like many of our other sort of uh, episodes Where we cover a certain aspect of history Or a certain event in history Rather than a uh, specific person that we're covering This particular episode needs context, right? Just like we talk about in every episode, context is key. Context is what gives us the reason why one dude decided to take a gold top cane and beat the living fuck out of another guy on the floor of the Senate. But before we get to that glorious battle, you have to have context in terms of how how was America during the early to mid-1800s. So America is founded in the late 1700s, 1776 with the Declaration of Independence all the way up into the 1780s during the Revolutionary War and finally, you know, the Articles of Confederation and then finally the Constitution establishing the United States of America. And then as things go, there is what some people like to call Manifest Destiny, where a lot of white settlers from the East, those being usually people of French or English or... Irish or Spanish or whatever origins, Europeans moving their way westward where there was tons of open and easy to to farm land, well, at least to some point when you get into rivers. Um, I, by the way, am from Nebraska, and if you, if you ever drive through Nebraska, those of you who are listening who are not from the places that would call this a flyover state, if you actually drive through Nebraska, you notice that there is a ton of farmland. This is still a part of the breadbasket of America, Iowa and Nebraska and Kansas and uh, Missouri and all around. There's a ton of growing of food that people consume Um, and not just people consume food wise, but animals consume and other products are made like ethanol and so on and so forth. A lot of things, you know, everyone's favorite high fructose corn syrup is basically what's keeping Nebraska going so far uh, in addition to ethanol and stuff. So. Anyhow, back in the day, the land wasn't nearly as arable, but people still wanted to live here and there and around anywhere that wasn't the East Coast because it was wide open land that they could cultivate and develop. So you have people moving westward. You also, since the founding of the United States and even before the founding in just colonies and every other thing that you have, you had places that were okay with slavery in places that weren't okay with slavery. And let's not mince any goddamn words right now. Everything we're talking about has to absolutely 
absolutely do with slavery. Slavery is what the Civil War was about. If anybody says it isn't about slavery, you're you're wrong. That's the whole thing. The whole reason why people got in such mad, angry fights with each other that eventually led to a huge, bloody conflict between North and South was because of slavery. Abolitionists in the North didn't want slavery anymore. Southern slavers wanted to keep slavery because, A, it's free labor, and it keeps whatever they're doing, whether it's cotton or any other crop, extremely profitable because you're not having to pay hardly anything for labor besides you know, feeding and lodging and stuff. You don't have to actually pay wages. So there's that going on. You have the, the head butting back and forth. You have southern states claiming states' rights, which, by the way, they aren't entirely wrong about that. It's just that their states' right they wanted was to own people. That's the whole thing. When people are like, oh, it's about states' rights, not about slavery. States' rights are my heritage. It's like, no, you might be you know, from there, and it might be your heritage to be a southern person. There's nothing wrong with that. But the Civil War itself was certainly about slavery. You know, these states seceded from the Union because they wanted to continue their own nation where they were able to own slaves and where they were able to do what they had been doing for the past, you know, hundred or so odd years, or even farther back if you consider the very earliest colonists. Anyhow, there's this tenuous grass. But it used to be when the United States was first founded that slavery was basically legal everywhere. And then things start to change. People start to want to abolish slavery in certain spots, and then the line gets drawn. Typically, the Mason-Dixon line is where you would think about that quote-unquote line being drawn. And everything political during the 1800s has to do with whether or not slavery is going to be a thing. Because if you look at it back back then, and it's still not entirely different now when it comes to politics, but back then you had a much more populous North and a much less populous South. So if you think about the the legislature and how it works in the United States, you have two branches. You have the House of Representatives, which is based purely on the population of a state, meaning the more people you have in your state, the more representatives you get. My particular state, Nebraska, gets three representatives. Um, California gets like 50-something. I can't remember the exact number, but it is much more because California is much higher populated than Nebraska is. But... You have the other side of the coin, the Senate, in which every state, in a, in a, I still think, honestly, a genius move on the part of the founding fathers to put, put two houses in, one which is by representation on population and one that gives an equal amount of senators per state. That way you always kind of have this balance and these checks that you can uh, employ on either side. And you'd get two senators from each state. Now, most of these things that we're going to talk about, most of the context had to do with the Senate, not the House of Representatives, because if we use our handy-dandy critical thinking logic cap and we put it on, well, sounds like northern states, which typically are abolitionist and free state types, are going to have a lot more representatives in the House of Representatives than southern or slavery states. So you're never going to get any foothold in terms of slavery in the House of Representatives. You're just outnumbered. But in the Senate, on the other hand, you can keep a pretty tenuous balance because there was just about the same amount of slave states to free states in the Senate. So you get 
two senators from a free state, two senators from a slave state, and it kept this tenuous balance back and forth, which led to the Missouri Compromise of 1820. So what they were wanting to do was sort of set a precedent to when a territory would then become a state, you know, they would get these choices to become either a slave state or a free state, and the Missouri Compromise set that line as the border, the northern border of Missouri, everything south of there was a slave state, everything north of there would be a free state. And so you put Missouri in, and then you also put Maine in. So Missouri is a slave state, but then Maine is a free state. So population is kind of a wash, but you get two senators apiece, one from here, one from there. The voting balance in Congress stays the same. That's because, and this is definitely all because of slave states wanting to keep control of what they had. Because if you are going to get bulldozed in the House of Representatives, and then all of a sudden you lose grasp of votes in the Senate, you're going to get bulldozed no matter what you, no matter what you do. All it takes at that point, if you've got a majority in both houses and a abolitionist president, whoever that might be during the time, that's just the, the hypothetical. If you get to that point, then every you know part of your way of life is going to end. And that was the fear monger that was given to those slave states. They were told, hey, if we let this get out of hand here, there and everywhere, then we're going to lose how we make our money, how we live our way of life and it's not good so we got to keep doing what we're doing to make sure that we always have something represented we always have something that we're going to do and it it was it's just you think it's bad now in the in the you know 20 teens with political divide and everybody's pissed off at every other goddamn person everything's just the end of the world you it's nothing nothing compared to the way it was during especially into the 1830s and 1840s and 50s on the lead up to the American Civil War where, you know, hundreds of thousands of men were killed because we couldn't agree on whether or not people should be able to own people or people should not be able to own people. So anyhow, that's your first piece of context. Missouri Compromise, 1820. Everything south of Missouri is a slave state. Everything north of Missouri or Missouri if you're one of those people, is a free state. So this sort of sits around and dinks and donks and whatever. Everybody's kind of pissed off, but you add a state, then you add another state, and this and that and the other thing. Then, as we ramp up into our our title fight here pretty soon, you have now the Kansas-Nebraska Act that's going to change everything. And really, in my opinion and the opinion of actual good historians, is pretty much a good trigger, so to speak, something that really sparked the beginnings of the Civil War. Because this is when it truly came, truly, truly, truly came to a head. Now, in the Kansas-Nebraska Act, this is in 1854 now, and our fight is going to take place in 1856, so a couple years prior to that, the Kansas-Nebraska Act establishes that that people were going to be able to, you know, open up farmland, I guess, officially for the United States so people could move there as settlers in a new territory rather than, you know, out into the the wild or the, the un-American occupied area at that point. So there's nothing really wrong with that exactly besides the whole, you know, moving the, the natives who already lived in these places out of their area, but that's besides the point of this particular episode of the podcast. It was also about 
getting the transcontinental railroad you know some other form or some other way to be more stable as something that could be built you know through an area where there were established colonies and established you know farmers and stuff like that the big part of the Kansas Nebraska Act that really you know got everybody else's shit stirred up was that there was a popular sovereignty clause in the law and well, what that means is that every time a new territory or state you know, eventually a state who was going to be represented in the House of Representatives and Senate, every time a state would uh, uh, come into the Union, then instead of just being like, well, you're south of this certain uh, latitude line in Missouri, you're automatically a safe, you know, a slave state, or, you know, if you're north of it, you're a free state. Instead of that, you now have the people in the state decide what they want to be. Now, on paper, that sounds really great. Hey, if you got a bunch of, you know, free free uh, people wanting to hang out there and they don't want slavery, great. They're not going to have slavery. And hey, if you got a bunch of uh, slave-owning people there, I guess we're going to have slaves, whatever. But they didn't really think of the matter where people were just going to move there uh, with whatever mindset that they had and try to vote in whatever they were going to do. Basically, they were going to play Washington politics on a smaller scale a, you know, about as far west as you can get. And this led to Bleeding Kansas. Bleeding Kansas being a bunch of pro-slavery people from Missouri try to move into Kansas. A bunch of free state people already living in Kansas or had moved also to Kansas really start to fuck with each other to the point where they're killing each other really terribly. So, they, And you could probably call it, you know, the prologue to the Civil War, the Bleeding Kansas in the 1850s, 1855 in particular, and 1856, people killing each other over the rights to own people in the Kansas Territory were the precursor to that thing. And the guys who drafted the Kansas-Nebraska Act were Senator Stephen Douglas, the man who ran against Abraham Lincoln for president in 1860, and a man by the name of Andrew Butler. Uh, Andrew Butler is from South Carolina, and Stephen Douglas is from Illinois. Now, uh, Butler and Douglas are, at this point, both Democrats. Now, I think I went on a little bit of a rant in an earlier episode about how Democrats and Republicans of today, today being the early 21st century, are not not the same as Democrats and Republicans of antebellum America. They were completely opposite, basically. And, you know, when you look into the whole Dixiecrat thing going on into the 1950s, 60s, and 70s, where a lot of people shifted their allegiance from the Democratic Party, Southerners typically, into the Republican Party, and things started to switch themselves, that's that's the whole thing. So when people are like, yeah, we're the party of Lincoln, it's like, you are, but, I mean, I don't know. It's It's different now. So... As long as we can compartmentalize everything, that's fine. Anyhow, you have Democrats, Douglas, and Butler forming the Kansas-Nebraska Act, which basically reopens the question of where can we put slavery? Where is it at least possible to have slavery happen somewhere? And there's a man, part of the title of this episode, named Charles Sumner, who got pissed off, piss raging angry about the Kansas-Nebraska Act because the Kansas-Nebraska Act basically straight up led to bleeding Kansas and all of the hostilities that, you know, kind of everybody sort of all 
felt like it was coming. Like you could you could cut the tension of antebellum America with a knife in terms of slavery and uh, basically what ended up becoming a you know in- inevitable civil war. You could cut that tension with a knife for five decades leading up to that point. Um, people kind of always thought it was going to happen, and then when Sumner and others, but especially Sumner because he was extremely vocal about it, saw what was happening in Kansas, he got extremely, extremely upset about it. And I think, in my opinion, he's justified in his upsetness. So Sumner, being Mr. Pissed Off, decides that he's going to make a speech. And he is super pissed. And his speech lasts two, not minutes, not two hours but two days dude delivering a two fucking day speech on may 19th and may 20th hey oh my birthday may 19th and 20th of 1856 this speech he just goes ape shit and denounces like everybody and he's so super duper angry about you know douglas and butler opening this whole thing up and it's going to be a whole you know slave power thing and it's it's you know, it's it's his crimes against Kansas speech, and I'm going to quote a couple things from it here because it's pretty awesome. His first quote, when he's talking about the political arm of slave owners, quote, Not in any common lust for power did this uncommon tragedy have its origin. It is the rape of a virgin territory, compelling it to the hateful embrace of slavery, and it may be clearly traced to a depraved desire for a new slave state, hideous offspring of such a crime, in the hope of adding to the power of slavery in the national government. So he sees the writing on the wall. He sees that now that we have this new act where basically anybody can vote on anything, that now, and by the way, Sumner was a very much abolitionist, free man type of guy. He felt it was an affront to to his sensibility and to basically his state's sensibility. He then goes apeshit and decides to personally attack Douglas and Butler, saying, quote, The senator from South Carolina, which is Andrew Butler, has read many books of chivalry and believes himself a chivalrous knight with sentiments of honor and courage. Of course, he has chosen a mistress to whom he had made his vows and who, though ugly to others, is always lovely to him, though polluted in the sight of the world, is chaste in his sight. I mean the harlot slavery. For her... For her, his tongue is always profuse in words. Let her be impeached in character or any proposition made to shut her out from the extension of wantonness and no extravagance of manner or hardihood of assertion is then too great for this senator. And he goes on to say about uh, Butler's speaking ability. He touches nothing which he does not disfigure with error, sometimes with principle, sometimes a fact. He cannot open his mouth, but out there flies a blunder. So literally... Literally like me trying to read, you know, real words and quotes here. That's basically what he was saying about Andrew Butler. He was calling him a dipshit who was basically in the pocket of slavery and that he was just uncouth and and terrible. I mean, basically this was him taking the velvet glove and slapping Andrew Butler right in the face, just going straight up ape shit and getting super duper mad about what's going on. And there's a fella, there's a fella sitting out in the crowd named Preston Brooks and he's the guy we're we're going to be talking about here in a second who's got a pretty big impact on the ordeal. Preston Brooks is hanging out here. He's Butler's cousin, by the way. Of course he is. He's Butler's cousin. He doesn't much like what Charles Sumner is saying about his boy, Andrew Butler. Andrew Butler, the idiot, apparently. And then apparently, 
you know, uh, Sumner would go crazy and insult those guys. And then uh, Butler and Douglas would come back, Butler especially being like, oh, he just uh, he just loves black people. He wants interracial marriage because, of course, you know, that's a that's a insult when you're a slave owner to people who are not slave owners. And it goes back and forth and back and forth. Now, getting back to Preston Brooks, Butler's cousin, he was extremely pissed off. He was so fucking mad that he intended to challenge Sumner to a duel, like with pistols, like people used to do. And he was like, hey, my guy, who I'm sitting next to, a guy named Lawrence Keat, a uh, South Carolina representative as well. These are all South Carolina guys, by the way. Brooks talks to Keat and says, hey, man, what can I do to duel this guy? What is dueling etiquette? Well, Keat goes back to him and says, oh, no, you don't want to duel this guy. He's a piece of shit. You're highly honorable. We're very honorable, chivalrous southern people, and this guy's a piece of trash. And, you know, whatever, dude. Like, just don't, don't duel him. He's way below you. I have a better idea of what you should do with this guy. Instead of, you know, letting him have a pistol, and then you have a pistol and you guys shoot at each other, I think instead you should just come into the Senate chamber with a goddamn cane and just beat the living hell out of this guy. That that more suits him at this point. We should definitely just do that. And Brooks kind of goes back and forth on it and, you know, maybe doesn't want to and then does want to. And then on May 22nd, so his um, Sumner's speech was on the 19th and the 20th. Then a couple days later on May 22nd, Brooks comes into the Senate chamber with Keat and Henry Edmondson, another guy who was going to be sort of one of Brooks's dudes, one of Brooks's allies, so to speak. And they are all in on what they were going to do. They go in. Brooks got his cane flanked by Edmondson and Keat. He goes up to Charles Sumner, who's sitting in his seat just writing stuff because that's what's going on. Brooks waits for the galleries to to empty so there's less people to see what he's about to do. Um, then he goes up to Sumner and he says, quote, Mr. Sumner, I have read your speech twice over carefully. It is a libel on South Carolina and Mr. Butler, who is a relative of mine. Brooks calmly announced all that stuff in a very low voice. And Sumner stands up going basically probably like, hey, dude, what'd you say to me? And that was Brooks's cue to just whop his ass on the head. And he did it hard. So hard, in fact, that he made Sumner go blind. He literally hit him so goddamn hard that he made the dude go blind with his cane. Smacks him on the head with the cane. Sumner's blind. He falls over. And Brooks proceeds to just beat the living hell. Like a real, like, whenever I read about this story, whenever I kind of see it in my head, and the, the pictures don't really do it justice, and I'll post a picture um, on our Facebook page here uh, when it comes down to the release of this episode of the, the the lithograph that is very popularly associated with this story. I always think of like a or like a real Quentin Tarantino scene, just just a bloody beat down that is just full of profanity and, and all sorts of crazy shit. And Brooks does not let up on this guy. He beats the hell of him back and forth, up and down. The desks in the Senate chamber were bolted to the floor, and the chairs that went to those desks were on rails on the desks. So he couldn't move the desk. He couldn't move his chair. He got trapped under his desk. Sumner keeps beating the crap out of him, not just in the head, but everywhere in his body. Um, Brooks eventually breaks the cane, doesn't give a shit, takes the hard end, the gold-topped end, and just keeps whapping away, whapping away head, face, shoulders, quote, to the full extent of his power. So he just going absolutely ape shit. Can you imagine this scene today? Like Mitch McConnell comes in with a cane 
and just beats the fuck out of Nancy Pelosi. Like, you can't even imagine people doing that. But this was, I mean, this guy, he, he insulted his cousin or whatever buddy's honor, and he decided to go beat the hell out of Sumner, who had just made a two-day-long speech, basically insulting him and the entirety of, of the South and the entirety of the Democratic Party, which, by the way, this is something that leads to the formation of the party of Lincoln, the Republican Party, by the way. So, anyhow, he is still beating the shit out of this guy. There are tons of senators who are in the chamber trying to intervene. Keat and Edmondson, his boys, Brooks's boys, are there trying to, you know, kind of like the schoolyard fight, like, like Sumner is getting his ass just handed to him by Preston Brooks, and they're kind of like pushing the circle out where, you know, uh, saying, hey, hey let, them, let them work it out. Let them work it out, you guys. They're just, they're just fighting. Let them work it out. Literally saying, quote, let them be, let them alone, god damn you, let them alone, which is what Keith said while handling, <laughs> while brandishing his own cane, which I guess he was probably threatening people with, and a goddamn pistol. So these guys were serious. They had their plan in mind where they were just going to beat the living shit out of Charles Sumner. Eventually, the beating does come to a standstill, but he, Sumner really, really took one in the face many, many times. He... He got his shit rocked pretty hard um, to the point where he didn't really ever fully recover from the beating. Although, all things considered, he actually did pretty well. Uh, after everything was all said and done, there were Southern lawmakers making rings out of the other pieces that were recovered of the cane, which had been busted into a million pieces by this point. Making rings, wearing them, using them as you know props and and whatever you'd call it. To, to show solidarity with Preston Brooks, who would beat the hell out of Sumner. And as you can imagine, just like with today, there is an extremely insane aftermath when it comes to media coverage of this. And you can probably guess what people were saying about each man. But I'm going to read you some stuff super quick about what different newspapers were writing and saying about the two men. So firstly, you have some Northern and uh, Freeman Leaning papers, the Cincinnati Gazette, saying, quote, the South cannot tolerate free speech anywhere and would stifle it in Washington with the bludgeon and the bowie knife as they are now trying to stifle it in Kansas by massacre, rape, and murder. The, the unquote, the New York Evening Post asks, quote, has it come to this, that we must speak with bated breath in the presence of our Southern masters? Are we to be chastised as they chastise their slaves? Are we too slaves, slaves for life, a target for their brutal blows when we do not comport ourselves to please them, unquote. So you can see what the northern newspapers were saying about it, very much in support of Sumner. Basically, you know, in, in my opinion, probably more correct than the other guys, for sure. I think being the shit out of anyone like that is is outrageous and abhorrent. But, you know, it is what it is, because when we look at what the southern newspapers are saying, the Richmond Enquirer, editorialized that he should be caned every morning, Mr. Sumner, that is, praising the attack as good in conception, better in execution, and best of all, in consequences, and denounced, quote, these vulgar abolitionists in the Senate who have been suffered to run too long without callers. They must be lashed into submission, they say. Brooks ends up getting lots of canes sent to him because that's what people do. Um, eventually, it just goes into this whole thing back and forth, back and forth, 
people talking shit about each guy. Um, Brooks is a hero in the South. Sumner is a hero in the North. Sumner sells a shitload of copies of his speech. Brooks is basically put on a pedestal in the South. And you can really take this incident and pinpoint it pretty much as... I would call it the straw that broke the camel's back, in my opinion. A lot of people would put the straw that really broke the camel's back as the uh, election of Abraham Lincoln as president in 1860. Abraham Lincoln being a member of the newly formed and much more powerful now Republican Party, usually bolstered by things like this. Because before, the the Republican Party was a little bit fledgling. The Democratic Party was much more, you know, much more full of strength. And because of that, kind of ran shit pretty well. And then Preston Brooks decides to take Kane, beat the hell out of Charles Sumner. All of a sudden, there's something to rally behind. And the Republican Party becomes a lot stronger to the point where Abraham Lincoln runs again the runs against, excuse me, the aforementioned uh, Stephen Douglas and beats him in 1860. Which at that point, basically, Southerners were saying, "Hey, if Abraham Lincoln gets elected president, we're gonna fucking leave the Union." Because we know how this is going to go. And not very much longer after that, in 1861, South Carolina seceded. And then many other states soon followed. And then, as we all know, the Civil War happened. So, yeah. Preston Brooks beats the shit out of Charles Sumner and basically, you know, takes a match, drops it on a fuse. And then in a few short years, we are killing the hell out of each other for four straight years and it's bloody and it's terrible and it's it's a black mark on American history. It's an extremely interesting part of American history and we could talk for absolute hours upon hours upon hours about Civil War things. There are so many interesting people on both sides, interesting people who are Southern, you know, in, in, in their persuasion, Southern generals, Southern politicians. There are interesting Northern people and Northern politicians northern generals there are interesting soldiers there are interesting people a ton of a big part of american culture was built because of the civil war both good and bad and we will probably start getting into that stuff a little bit later on as we develop the podcast further but i just wanted to illustrate that this kind of weird interesting story of a guy getting basically massacred on the floor of the senate helped to steamroll forward the concept of secession from the Union that's led to the Civil War. So, yeah, super cool. Let's follow that up with something completely unrelated in your non-sequitur fact of the whatever. You got about two to nine pounds, give or take a pound or two of bacteria in your body at any given time. That's fucking gross. And that, my friends, makes the show. Thank you so much for listening, and happy 1,000 downloads. A cheers to everyone because of that. Thank you guys so much for making that possible, for listening to the dulcet tones of my voice for the past dozen or so episodes. And thank you so much for continuing to be so kind and supportive of this weird thing that I decided to do. You can find me... On Twitter at Kyle Steinhauser, on Instagram at Kyle F. Steinhauser, if you want to see mostly pictures dedicated to the podcast, but other pictures randomly as well. You can email the show, knowledgecouch at gmail.com, if you have suggestions or just want to be a person from 
1998 and email stuff, you can find our group on Facebook. Search Knowledge from the Couch podcast on Facebook. You will run straight into it. I post pictures along with the show every week for the most part that go along and correlate with everything so people can get an idea of what we're talking about. Other than that, you guys, you can find the podcast anywhere podcasts can be found. iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, all the good stuff. Make sure you leave a rating, please, when you're there. And you can leave a review. I gave you one last week. You can just leave that one verbatim. Go back to that episode at the end, just like this, and and take that review. Type that bad boy out and leave it for the show with a five-star rating, if you would, because I think that I'm a five-star man. Anyway, next week's episode, I have no clue, hey, hey, what we're going to do. So lucky number 13 is just as much of a mystery to me as it is to everyone else. And until then, you guys, thank you so much for listening. I am out of here.